Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech, and it is Friday. That means it is a, it's time for a classic episode. And this episode originally published on March 24th, 2014. It is titled Time for an IRC Chat. Hope you guys enjoy. Let's listen in. Longtime listeners of Tech Stuff might be thinking, we already did an episode on IRC, and you are completely correct. Jonathan and Chris did one of those way back on June 10th, 2010, called What is IRC? But uh, it was it was more of a basic overview of what the service is and how it came about and how people use it. Uh, we wanted to go a little bit more into the history of IRC, thanks mostly to an idea from listener Addie, um, that's at AddieSyram1 on Twitter, who said, can you do an episode on IRC? And we said, sure. Yeah, I just want to make it clear that I listened to that podcast from 2010, and I have no memory of ever saying those words. And I, it sounds like I'm making a joke, but I, I was like, I, I clearly recognize my voice, <laughs> but there is nothing in my brain that held on to the fact that I did an episode about IRC already. So we, so if you did listen to that episode and you have a better memory than I do, some of this might sound familiar, but go with us. All right. So let's start our, our journey down memory lane and, and also open up a few other doors on the way if I can mix some metaphors. So what exactly is IRC? Well, as we have mentioned, e- even just in the past couple minutes here, it stands for Internet Relay Chat. Wait, I have no memory. Jonathan, this is becoming a problem. I know that you're off caffeine today. But... That, that might be the issue. Yeah, I gave up caffeine and now now I'm I'm all sorts of messed up, y'all. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's actually a platform for real time chat on the Internet and it's text based. It's not, you know, voice or video or anything like that. This is actually typing in your your little typey typey. It's a, it's a type of instant messenger. It might be a phrase that people are more familiar with these days, although I would argue that most instant messengers are probably based on IRC. Yeah, IRC is uh, also group-based as opposed to a one-on-one discussion. So right. You would, it's almost like if you were to go to a physical location where the people at the physical location are all, all interested in a particular topic, and you walk through the door and you join the conversation. Except in IRC, you can actually be in multiple rooms at the same time, having multiple conversations about multiple topics. Uh, right, because you're going through a server. Yeah. Uh, a server that has multiple different kind of rooms, yeah. um, virtual rooms or, or channels. Exactly. And each channel has its own name. Uh, most of the time, the channel name kind of gives you an idea of what the subject is. Some they're, of them some of them are general subjects. They're pretty straightforward. Yep. It's uh, Yeah, like hashtag Firefly fans. I guess that would be people who really enjoy bugs that light up at night. That clearly must be it. Right. So. Um, but to, to connect to these kind of spaces, you have to use a, a program, a client, mm-hmm. an app. Yep. So you've got this client-server relationship. The server is what houses uh, the connections, and the client is what you use to have your computer connect to the server. And uh, these days, there are many much clients. Yeah, and lots and lots of servers, too. So the clients exist for all sorts of different uh, operating systems, so you're not going to be left out. You know, if you're if you're saying, but I use a Mac, how could I participate in this wonderful world that is IRC? First of all, I'd say, well, you're about... A decade late to this party, <laughs> more than a decade late as it turns out. 
But also I would say don't worry because every operating system has a host of clients you can choose from. Many have very different capabilities that are built in. Some of them are more intuitive than others. And there are also lots and lots of servers on them. And uh, the other interesting things is that the servers can connect to each other to form networks. And in fact, that's how IRC got started. It started with an, a network originally uh, and then eventually reached the world that we're in today where you have all these different servers uh, and networks that some of them are not connected to each other. So in other words, there may be channels on one server that you really like and channels on another server that you really like, but those two servers aren't connected, so you have to connect to either one. Separately in order to access the stuff that you want. Exactly, yeah. It's not like you can just jump from channel to channel if those servers have no connection between them. And uh, so it's meant for, like we said, group discussions, you know, having a big group conversation. There are ways that you can send private messages back right. and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and to communicate, you just type uh, your text into a little text field. Think of a divided window. So the window on the top is sort of the ongoing conversation within that channel. And the window below, it's very narrow, is really a text field for you to type in. And then you can also enter in commands, IRC commands. We talked a lot about IRC commands in the uh, the 2010 episode. So I highly recommend you go and check that out if you're really interested. For one thing, the commands are dependent upon what client you use. because uh, the, the different systems use slightly different phrasing. Yeah, just imagine that. You know, think of it as evolution. And at one point, all these different client philosophies split and then evolved on their separate pathways. Which so, is actually exactly what happened, yeah. which we will talk about. Yeah. So that's the basic way that these things work. So so let's talk about how this actually came to happen. It all started way back in 1988. 1988, y'all. Yeah. This is, when we mentioned that you are 10 or 20 years too late, we were not really kidding. Um, and, and for the record on all of this history stuff that we're about to talk about, there are a bunch of vaguely conflicting reports about all of it because no one was really documenting it at right. the time. Yeah, the, no one was expecting this to be something that someone would be sitting in a podcast room talking about. It's it's the way a lot of things unfold eventually is that unless there was someone who is officially a chronicler, uh, you just get, you know, kind of time-ish <laughs> estimations. Oh, right, right. So, for example, the birth of IRC is often said to be sometime around the end of August 1988, but we don't remember what the day was. Because the operative person, um, one Yarko, uh, a.k.a. Wiz, Oikarenen. I'm going to go Oikarenen. I I think it's I. I think it's Oikarenen. Oikarenen. Okay, so here's the thing, guys. He's Finnish. There are a lot of Finnish people involved in the development of IRC, and we are Americans who have a vast ignorance on the way to pronounce Finnish names. Lauren has done her best to to decipher this. I have not. (laughs) And hilarity shall ensue. Now, I want to extend all my apologies to my Finnish friends who are going to cringe every time I mangle a name, but just know it's not out of malice. It's just from ignorance. Moving on. Yay. Yay, <laughs> ignorance. Um, but so at any rate, he, he was working at the University of Aulu mm-hmm. in Finland. Mm-hmm. And he was working specifically in the Department of Information Processing Science. And he thought, you know, I want to include some sort of chat uh, functionality in this BBS service <laughs> software that I am installing. BBS bulletin board system. Yes. So this is sort of the predecessor to, you know, these were like those those local networks that you could log into. It wasn't an internet, 
it was something that you could dial directly into mm-hmm. a BBS and get internet-like uh, services, including things like messaging and email. Yeah. Uh, but it was usually re- uh, restricted just to that BBS. So mm-hmm. in other words, again, it was they were like little islands as opposed to a global internet. Uh, yeah, there, there was Usenet, which was a little bit more expensive um, yeah. and, and had more uh, group discussion kind of functions. But but one of the ideas that Yarko had was that he really wanted to to integrate that into a real time chat capacity. Right. And he started looking around for inspiration. Uh, and one of them was a bit chat client that was developed by a friend of his. Uh, he actually started borrowing parts of multi-user chat programs that were written by other people, including, and tell me if I get this one wrong, Yorki? Yes. Ah, Yorki? Oh, I don't no. know. Kuapala. <laughs> I know I got that one wrong. And Yoka Peel. And uh, so his friends had been working on similar uh, ideas for other implementations. And at the end of August 1988, IRC was switched on. And it lived on a single computer so just one computer in the world running the server software for irc so then you had uh the this group of friends campaign the university uh to eventually allow them to release this code to a wider audience because technically the code belonged to the university itself and i love the way that the that yarko talks about the the development he says once it got up to 10 users, I knew that I wanted to let other people have a crack at this. And I thought, 10? Yeah. Well, the, the internet was very, I mean, it wasn't really the, yeah, the internet yet. The internet was a, yeah, the internet was, was just the realm of research, uh, organizations and universities. No one outside of that really had much access to it besides it was some government, uh, agencies as well. But, you know, we, plebeians out in the the real world didn't have any access to it the world wide web was more than a decade away so this was you know this was early early days so 10 was actually a significant number yes. just i just joke about it because i think of our discussion about twitter from a few weeks ago about how the 5000 number was so small but uh yeah 10 people so he just he convinces the university to allow them to release this code to some other people and uh, they started getting it installed in other universities in Finland first, and they joined on and then looked at other countries as well. But uh, there were some issues there. Uh, right. There, there were a few like intercountry connectivity issues, apparently. Uh, uh... Yeah, because, I mean, at this point, again, Internet's not a real thing, right? Uh, right. So, yeah. Yarko remembers there being specific problems connecting um, his his networks in Finland with U.S. networks. But this wouldn't go on for very long. Yeah. Yeah. There were improvements in the infrastructure going on at the same time as IRC starting to catch on in popularity. In fact, by November of that year of 1988, uh, universities in Colorado and Oregon would become connected to the IRC network. Um, they, they they would set up their own servers and and hook everything up together, uh, so it was no longer solely Finnish. And what it no, ha- it's just getting started. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, and uh, Yarko had connected with some people through MIT's network and distributed a couple copies, and it basically just went wild. Yeah. I mean, like he di- he didn't distribute it physically to all of these people that ended up setting up their 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 own versions. But yeah, it's actually kind of funny. Like uh, the story about the Colorado coming online, uh, as I understand it. One of the other uh, 
universities in Finland, there was a, a user who was very interested in it, who then passed it on to someone who was in Colorado, who then, uh, you know, so it, it was it was growing organically. It wasn't right. like a, a planned out. This is how we're rolling this out. It was it was a viral. Spread. Yeah, he he was just like, hey, check out this cool thing that I made, and yeah. and all of a sudden he would see it pop up in other places. So. That was August to November. It took very little time at all. By mid-1989, there were 40 servers worldwide. Uh, and by 1990, the average number of active servers, so 40 servers worldwide, that not all of them are necessarily active all the time. Mm-hmm. So by 1990, the number of active servers and, and the number of active users at any particular given time was still pretty modest. We're talking 12 users and 38 servers. Uh, granted, the original code for IRC really only accounted for some 100 users to be connected all at the same time. Right. And uh, furthermore, according to some numbers, uh, around that same time, there were only 3 million people worldwide who even had access to the Internet. So. Right. And, and doing something like if you've ever connected to a BBS in the old days, a lot of those original BBSs only had capacity for a couple of people to connect at a time. So for something to have the capacity to allow 100 people to communicate simultaneously was a huge deal. It was. It would turn out to not be scalable really at all, which created many problems down the line. Yes, in fact. Uh, so in August 1990, that's when one of these problems starts to rear its head in that the IRC community suffers its first schism, but not the last one. Hey, guys, we'll chat some more about IRC in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break. So, in this corner, you have the traditional IRC community. And on the other corner, you had a group that just, uh, they, they, you know, they didn't want people to tell them what to do. They wanted, they wanted freedom from rules. Rules are for squares, man. I, I don't know if they actually used that, that voice. That's exactly how people talked in 1990. <laughs> I'm old enough to remember. I see. So, um, yeah. but so, so these two groups split, and the the kind of anarchists, uh, the anarchist yes. sort of side, uh, founded ANET, which stood in fact for AnarchistNet. Yes, and the rest of it became known as EFNet, which stands for Eris Free Network. E R I S Eris Free Network. And why? Because the server that ANET was founded on was named Eris.Berkeley.edu. So, in other words, you had. One group of people who are like, we kind of want the freedom to do whatever we like because we don't like these rules where you say we can't do things like take over someone's channel just because they weren't smart enough to uh, block us from doing so. Yeah. And since they're not smart enough, they should not be allowed to run that channel. I should be allowed to run it and do whatever I want. I'm being I'm certainly adding a little more motivation here than there was probably in the, the, the literature. But that's kind of how I do things. Oh, I, I mean, you are you are being snarky. But first of all, snark is what you do. Snark is what both of us do. Yeah. Snark is what tech stuff does. We embrace it. We do. Um, But uh, uh, the the folks who were on that that a net did really enjoy exploiting um what was called Nick colliding. Yeah. And this is. um. Yeah, so here's the thing. Like, you would choose a nickname when you log into a channel or or a server to to chat with other people. And this nickname represents who you are. You can choose any nickname you want, given the character limit of that that's supported by that particular client and server. So, uh, one thing that could happen is that y- if you tried to choose what you know, another person's nickname, the system would generally prevent you from doing that, saying mm-hmm. that that name's already taken. But if you were able to 
orchestrate an event or take advantage of an event where everyone is kicked out of a room and then you rejoin that room or channel, I should say. Everyone's kicked out of a channel. You rejoin that channel before the operator or op can join that channel and you name yourself the ops name. You could end up giving yourself op powers for that channel and you prevent the rightful op from being able to take hold. And so that's Nick colliding. It's when these nicknames collide. And one way that that would happen is you would have what what's called a net split. A net split is when uh, you have two servers that are connected to a network that are running the same sort of channel. And some people are on one server. Some people are on the other server, but they're all in the same chat room. But then somehow a connection between those servers breaks. And then you end up having two instances of that same channel. So you've got half the people in one and half the people in the other. So let's say that I, I'm i a jerk. I mean, it's easy to say, right? <laughs> so I'm a jerk. Yeah. I've logged into I'm this I'm imagining. I'm, uh, hold on. It's going to take me a second. Yeah, I know. It's okay. There's, you're in a forest. There's a tree. <laughs> All right. So, Lauren, you're an op, and I'm a jerk. And I've logged into to the channel, and uh, right now I'm not being too jerky. So you haven't booted me or anything like that. Uh-huh. Uh, but there's a net split, and you and your group are in one server. I'm on another server, so we're on separate ones. I say, aha, there's been a net split. I an shall change my name. Yes, exactly. I'll change my name to Lauren's name. And so I change my nickname. And then when the servers are reunited and it tries to reconcile these two worlds into one, because you have two people with the same nickname, the nicknames collide, thus Nick colliding, and it boots both people out of the channel. Now, because I'm a jerk and because I've planned for this, I've already got another window open so I can log right back in using Lauren's nickname again. And Lauren, because she wasn't expecting this because she was being decent, is locked out of her own channel. That's kind of Nick colliding in a, you know, in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of stuff these guys like to do. So they started up their own party. They said, well, you know, the EFNet people, for some reason, don't find this nearly as entertaining as we do. So we're going to make our own party. Um, however, ANET would not last very long, and in fact, most users chose to go with EFNet instead, saying, this anarchy thing doesn't sound like it's a lot of fun or very, you know, uh, productive. This everyone being nice seems to make a lot more sense. Right. So, then we have a unified network, EFNet, again. So, it started off as a unified network, had that one schism. ANET did not last very long. We're back to unified. However, then you have a second splintering, which is when some users left EFNet to form TubNet, which was mostly kind of a, a the TubNet folks were saying, look, you need to fix things so that net splits happen less frequently. They are, uh, they're disruptive. You, it's, it's ruining the experience. Uh, right. The, the way that people react to net splits is not the problem. The fact that we are having net splits at all is something that really needs to be worked on more. Exactly. And so it wasn't so much a disagreement with policy as it was, we need to improve this platform. So they left and, uh, Tubnet had about five servers and around a hundred users, but it didn't stay around very long either. People kind of migrated. And kind of back reabsorbed. To, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and again, basically all of these were really scalability issues, um, which, which Yarko himself actually listed as being just about the only thing that he would go back and change if he had it to all do over again. Right. But, you know, again, hindsight being 2020, it was a lot harder to imagine this back when you were doing something where you had 10 people on. <laughs> Absolutely. So 1991, uh, an event, a world event happens that ends up making IRC a, uh, a, a very useful utility for a certain population. 
that was when the Gulf War broke out. And you started seeing lots of people using IRC to communicate about the war, sharing news stories, sharing information as they got it, because different parts of the world were getting reports earlier than other parts, and everyone wanted to know what was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was when they were seeing the height of their popularity in their early days. And keep in mind, again, we're talking modest numbers. So when we tell you how many users at the height of their popularity, don't snicker. Uh, right, because for the first time in history, it was it was uh, about 300 concurrent users at any given moment. And yeah. that that was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, kind of similar to how we were saying in the Twitter episode about how... Um, how people were so impressed by the ability that this that this software gave them to tune into live reporting about an issue. Same same thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it was, uh, you know, an, really, to me, what this says is it's 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 a premonition about what the Internet will be and how it will be important and how people will use it to communicate these important ideas in real time across the entire globe. And even though it was very tiny particularly compared to something as enormous as the Internet, it was kind of a proof of concept in many ways. So then another split happens, but this one was not, it was an amicable split. It wasn't something where a bunch of people were really upset. A user who used the uh, the nickname Wild Thang, and yes, that is how it's spelled, created a test network to develop bots. So these are automated uh, accounts. Often they will create admins that are bots, and the admin bots really are just there to scan for anything that would be objectionable and react to it. So that if someone's typing in all caps, the bot can step in and say, please don't type in all caps. People were much more sensitive about that in these early days of Internet. Yeah, you know, because it was considered shouting. And no, oh, no, I mean, it's still considered shouting, yeah. but it's kind of funny these days, I think, back back then. If your if your handle is Drunk Hulk, it's hilarious. Well, but at any rate, sometimes. yes. OK, that's fair. Okay, It's not. Not always hilarious, but frequently. So the uh, this this approach, this uh, this split to create this area where they could test out bots, it was really just meant as a testing ground. But more and more people wanted to join it to kind of play around with things and test things out and see what else was possible. And that is how the Undernet was born. And uh, it actually had some really useful goals. Uh, it wasn't just about playing with bots and seeing what you could program to, to do. It also involved ways of registering channels to users so that nick colliding was less of a problem. The idea being that if you registered a channel to a user and you had some form of verification, like a password, that would really cut down on people being able to take over a channel without authorization. So uh, it actually exists in parallel with EFNet. It's not trying to compete or anything. It's just it's just kind of a, a like a almost like a sandbox where people can test out things, and uh, that's where IRC really stopped being a united network and becomes a platform that runs on different networks. This is the first time we start seeing something that can survive on its own and doesn't. It's not just a flash in the pan, you know, splinter group. Mm-hmm. So by May 1993. The IRC pro- protocol is made available to the general public. It's no longer just something that's being spread from, uh, you know, one one enthusiast to another. Now it's available for anyone. And the summer of 1994, uh, we get the a fork in Undernet. So we've talked about splintering with EFNet. Now Undernet itself forks, and another group called Dalnet, D-A-L-N-E-T, is born. And uh, it, it was really trying to to 
bring more stability and security to the IRC platform. Exactly. And a lot of their their improvements were made by a guy named Brian Morfer Smith. So, again, looking to improve the platform. Uh, I think these splits are looked upon with much more fondness by people. You know, everyone was trying to make it better as opposed to having having like deep philosophical disagreements within the community. Uh, and then in 1996, Undernet would split again, but this time it was a, it was one of those um, system problems, infrastructure problems. Uh, you see, there was a server in Australia that was part of the Undernet, but connecting from Australia to the rest of the world, there was a lot of lag. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So huge delays. You would type something in, you'd hit enter. It would take you know several seconds for it to to transfer over. By then, whatever the the topic of conversation has changed dramatically. Everyone thinks that you're being either obtuse or just really slow, but it turns out it's just because there's lag. So there was a conscious decision to split from the undernet uh, and to create a new Australian-based network called OzOrg. Oh, uh, so so this was, again, another one of those beneficial splits that, that was really done for the good of the community rather than due to uh, uh, intra-community arguments. Exactly. Yeah, it's really I mean, it was it's it was sad in a way because it meant that the Australians became kind of, you know, insulated from everybody else and everyone else was denied the pleasure of Australian company. But it was due specifically to technological you know, shortcomings. It had nothing to do with philosophical disagreements. Uh, our next item on the list, however, is very much one of those angry philosophical disagreements. Yes, this is what is called the Great Split, which, you know, I've had a few of those in bowling and they are really a pain. But uh, this happened in July of 1996. IRC Net splits off from EFNet and uh, IRC Net and EFNet are, are still kind of like these at odds, yeah. Yeah, there, so it was over, generally it was over a disagreement on how to handle op, operational issues. Op uh, issues. Right, it was a, basically a culmination of all of those old arguments over how NIC collisions should be handled and over uh, exactly how much power ops and admins should have in their, in their channels. Yeah, it was really to try and define these roles in different ways. Because as it turns out, we'll talk about a little bit in a, uh, a little bit later about how the definitions of operators versus admins, it's a little muddy depending upon which service you're using. Um, and also the capabilities that ops and admins have are different depending upon, you know, the actual servers and clients that are being used. So there were some disagreements and we ended up having the split. IRC net actually more out of uh, coincidence than planning. It, it, it wound up being, I mean, I mean, cultural and geographical and, and both of those. I mean, there, there are a few servers that the jump ship one way or another. Yeah. But yeah, most of the ones in IRC net are in Europe and Australia and Japan. And most of the EF net ones are in the U.S. Uh, so it ended up kind of just being on that dividing line. It wasn't it wasn't like U.S. versus everybody else. It just kind of that's just kind of how it shook out. And since then, multiple networks have appeared running on IRC. So. You had this unified network, uh, although it was very, very tiny, comparatively speaking. Uh, and now that you have a bunch of separate networks at its height of popularity, which was a, a long time ago in 2003, IRC had one million users. Uh, as of January 2013, that had dropped to about 400,000, but uh, it's still not terribly shabby. And it's still used quite a bit by a lot of, I mean, there are a lot of communities I go to where IRC chat rooms are incorporated into the experience, like, like, uh, sites that do streaming video. 
where they'll do some form of broadcast. If they don't have a native chat client that's uh, part of that service, IRC is the way that almost all of them go. And that includes big names like big companies uh, all the way down to little independent operators because it's an open source approach. We've got a little bit more to say about IRC, but before we get to that, let's take another quick break. Okay, so we're back, and now I'd kind of like to talk about the hierarchy of things that, you know, like the the people who are on IRC. Uh, Right, because before the break, uh, we mentioned that there's a little bit of uh, confusion in in the ranks of what an op versus an admin is and uh, how much control they have over uh, what's going on. Right, so for one thing, operator is used by some services for two different things. An operator might be a person who has complete control of the server, which has all the stuff running on it. Or just complete control over the channel. Right. Like a specific uh, uh, chat room. Exactly. So you could have multiple channels on a single server, uh, and then the operator is the person who could either be in charge of everything or in charge of just a specific channel. Another frequent term is admin. That tends to be someone who's in charge of a channel. Right. So... These are people who have uh, extra commands at their disposal beyond the ones that any user has. And these commands allow you to do lots of different things that make it useful uh, in order to have things run smoothly on your channel. So, for instance, you can mute people, uh, which is often useful if someone's being particularly trollish. Yeah. And you don't want to just boot them and ban them. Maybe you mute them so that they don't even know that. Like cause they don't know that their stuff's not showing up. <laughs> so they're still typing wildly, but none of it's coming through. Right. Yeah. So everyone else is blissfully ignorant. I mean, sometimes that's easier because, you know, booting, booting someone, which is another thing they can do. They can kick people out of a room, which generally speaking, booting does not disconnect you from IRC, but it will disconnect you from that channel. You often will then uh, have either a, a ban on the channel so you can't go back into it. Or, um, you know, you can go back in, but then the op will give you a stern warning and say, if you do this, I will ban you from the server, which means you you don't. Yeah, you don't just get banned from the channel, but the server itself. Uh, Now, granted, there are ways around that if you're particularly trollish and you want to take extra effort to really be a pain in the patukas. But, uh, you know, that's what the mute button's for. Uh, Also, you can do moderated discussions. So a moderated discussion is where you have an admin who uh, picks who gets to talk when. This is really useful if you wanted to do something like a question answer session and you have uh, someone who is addressing a group of people and then wants to take in questions, but you can't just be flooded by them. Uh, An admin may take on the role of moderator who then picks the person who will ask the question in text and then the person, you know, whoever's answering will then address that. Uh, So that's also very useful. And there are other commands as well. Uh, There's some um, confusion about what operators exactly can and cannot do. There are people who essentially ascribe them godlike powers and they could do anything they wanted, and that's not entirely true. There's some great um, resources on irc.org. If you want to go there and check it out, there are, there's frequently asked question guides that'll answer everything, including one about what exactly can an op and can't an op do to try and demystify it a little bit. It's an entertaining read, so I would recommend it. So let's talk a little bit about um, what's actually under the hood. How is this actually working? This is where we get into the tech of the tech stuff. 
and it's ridiculous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's open protocol. We mentioned that earlier, uh, and it relies on TCP. That's transmission control protocol. Right. And that's one of the two biggies that were uh, created by the power team of Vint Cerf and Bob Kahn. Uh, the other being IP, of yes. course. TCP, IP are the big ones. The, you know, you probably have heard them before. Th- these are essentially the rules that create the 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 traffic guidelines for data across networks. Well, without these rules, computers wouldn't have a standardized approach to sending and receiving data, and you wouldn't be able to have this incredible packet-switching network out there where you can send stuff across the network and not worry if a computer or 10 computers or 100 computers go down in the process as long as whichever computer is the destination is still active because mm-hmm. it can reroute. So Right, right. Although this does mean that it's not technically part of the World Wide Web. Exactly. Um, I, of course, there are web-based clients that let you log in to IRC servers. Right, yeah. You, want, you don't necessarily these days need to download an IRC client to your computer and then run that as a separate program uh, for particular websites. Now, obviously, uh, you're not necessarily going to be able to, to visit any channel anywhere. But, you know, I was mentioning the idea of that moderated discussion. Uh, so if you're going to, say, a streaming site, I'll, I'll use a, a real example. So um, there's uh, there's a, a web podcast publication company called The Frog Pants Network run by a guy named Scott Johnson. He does a lot of really funny podcasts. He streams his podcasts live. He records them, but he streams them live, and he invites people to come into this chat room and participate in a discussion. So uh, that would allow you, you go to the website where the, the, the video is streaming, and just underneath it is this little web-based IRC client. And all you do is type in whatever nickname you want to use and hit enter, and then away you go. And you can make as many goofy jokes as you like, which Scott... Uh, encourages. That's the kind of world he lives in. <laughs> and I appreciate it. So anyway, that that's an example. But yes, it, it's, it itself is not part of the World Wide Web. It predates the World Wide Web. So that's important to remember. And, you know, I know that uh, most people these days have a grasp on that. I just remember a time when World Wide Web and Internet were synonymous to most people. Oh, sure. Like, they, if they thought of the Internet, they were thinking World Wide Web. They weren't they didn't realize that email, FTP, all these other protocols are also part of it. Right, right. They, they exist in, in layers. Yes, exactly. So to log in, like we said, you'd launch that client. Uh, an app. Yep. yep. And you would direct it to the appropriate server because there are different ones. Like if, you're, if you've got an app that's just all it is is just running this program, it needs to know where you're where to point it. Like you have mm-hmm. to tell it. Because there are server. many different servers that yep. it might have access to. And then once you got to that server, then you would have to try and you know find the right channel. You might look through a list of channels and designate the specific one you want to join. Uh, you could join multiple channels and then switch between them so that uh, you're part of multiple conversations all at the same time. Uh-huh. And some servers, depending on which one you have logged into, um, might uh, ask you to create a username and even a password. Yeah, so instead of just coming in under a nickname, because some of them will just assign you a random string to be like... A nine-digit number, right? Yeah, yeah. be like, like, you are Web Visitor 87BQ4. Well, that's a great catchy name. <laughs> uh, but you could also designate your your nickname or username. And like, like Lauren said, some of them will also allow you to create a password, which will protect your nickname so that no one else can have it. From that, from that, right, that nick duplication yeah. thing. Which usually only works on, uh, some of them are server wide, but a lot of them are just channel specific. So in other words, there could be someone in another channel posing as you and being a total jerk. 
that's my excuse for having multiple personalities on an IRC server where one of me is really friendly and one of me is not. I'm complex. <laughs> so since it's a client server architecture and it's not on this distributed network, that's where you are able to, uh, you know, access lots of different stuff, but only the stuff that's available on that server. Like we were saying earlier, if there are channels that you want to visit, but that server doesn't host those channels, you're out of luck. I mean, you could create a channel maybe if you have the permissions to do that. Yeah, but you might not be in with all of your buddies. Uh, similar to like like World of Warcraft or something like yeah. that. You have to all join up in the same, the same server, server in right. order to play the same game. Right, because those servers have a limitation on how much they can support. And once you reach that, that's it. So, uh, yeah, it's... You know, that's also where the, the net split thing comes into play, because if you do have multiple servers connected together that are running the same channel and they split, that's where you get that problem I was talking about earlier, where the actual audience splits up and you end up with talking to just a fraction of the, the room. Uh, right. Although the servers can be connected together. Yeah. Yeah. You can connect a, a lot of them together. That's where, you know, that was the whole idea behind the original IRC network. It's just it's funny because if you look at IRC today. You wouldn't think of it as starting as a unified network because there's so many different servers and networks out there. So today it just looks like it was something that grew into like it started out as islands all growing separately. But in fact, it was one land mass that later broke into yeah. two separate islands. Yep. Uh, but but yeah, but you can you can connect those islands back to one another uh, retroactively these days. If you want to if an op wants to give uh, his or her users uh, access to a greater number of channels. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, as long as you're all running the same uh, IRC server software, you're you're good to go. Uh, once in a while, like we said, you get those broken connections. That's a bummer. And also lag is an issue. Um, there are times where lag will be a, a particular problem and you find it frustrating to communicate. There's an actual command uh, slash ping that will tell you how long the delay is between when you type something in and when it respond when how long it takes a message to go from the server and from the server back to you. Right. You can also ping other users to find out how long it takes for a message to go from you to that person and from the person back to you. So that way if you're doing these little private messages off to the side, you know, if someone's not responding to you, it may be because they just they're they're lagging. Yeah, you, you can understand whether you have in fact lost connection or if there's Right, a lag or excited. or if they're just ignoring you. Yes. Like if you get the instead of a a lag message, it just says I'm washing my hair. Just take the hint, because I don't have hair, guys. <laughs> if I tell you I'm washing my hair, it just means I don't want to talk. Anyway, uh, so if you listen to that 2010 episode we talked about earlier, we go into a lot more detail about the different commands uh, that are available to your basic user and explain that why. You know, the ones that you might find on one version, like the undernet, are different than EFnet, that are different than IRCnet. Because, like we said, these all evolved separately once they split off from each other. And, you know, it's been all several decades <laughs> since they were first uh, introduced. So. Yeah, yeah. I find that I find it really interesting that it, all of this time has passed and that it is still in use, perhaps not widely in use now that there are many other options that are pretty widely populated but Yarko himself once once said uh, in, in a talk with the Undernet Public Relations Committee, um, what makes IRC special is the sense of anonymity. The only things that you often know of the other person are those that you can conclude from the discussions. Right. 
So, for example, you may conclude that they have a shared interest in a particular topic, assuming that they are being genuine when they join that that channel, because uh, you know trolls. Um, sure, but 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 other other than that, you know, it's it's not like this is linked to your Facebook or your Twitter right. or other personally identifiable information. You don't even necessarily have to use a username that you're going to put in use anywhere else on the internet. Right. You might be able. You might feel more free to express thoughts that you otherwise would feel would be uh, you'd be judged upon, mm-hmm. you know, not I, not even in a trollish way. I mean, just being honest and upfront. Maybe maybe you're looking for friends who can support you in something that you don't really feel comfortable talking to the folks around you. I mean, that happens. So the, it certainly has a valuable place. And like I said, I still use IRC. I mean, I still uh, join these conversations. There are shows that I have been a guest on that have used IRC chat rooms. Uh-huh. I love having that available and seeing what the uh, live audience is saying during the show. Usually there's a lag of about, you know, 10 seconds or so between what what we do on the video and when people see it and are able to respond to it. Uh, Sure. So but it's still I mean, if a good show that does this, they'll actually incorporate user uh, responses and. And they call people out and, 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 you know, give them credit or, or, you know, shame them publicly, depending <laughs> upon the, the appropriate response. But it's, it, it, it's one of those things that enriches internet experience. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I have very fond memories of it from, um, probably about 2004 to 2008, I think is when I was using MIRC, which is the Microsoft client for it. I hope you guys enjoyed that classic episode of Tech Stuff. If you have any suggestions for future topics I should cover, let me know. The best way to do that is to hop over to Twitter and use the handle TechStuffHSW. I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.